welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series four and episode 17. And it's entitled Attitudes to Prayer. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter seven. And our text, which we'll read in a minute, is Matthew chapter seven, verses seven to 12. I hope you've been following this series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is series four. It's an amazing series of very important teaching. And we're just coming to the end because the next episode will, in fact, bring to a conclusion this amazing teaching. But today's topic is prayer. And as you look back in the Sermon on the Mount, which, of course, Jesus gave to his disciples to help them develop their faith and to be good followers of him. If we look back on the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see that there have been a variety of different topics covered in attitudes at the beginning with the Beatitudes. There was some teaching about how discipleship relates to the Jewish law. Then some ethical issues were discussed. Then the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting and giving. Then a section on wealth and materialism and seeking God's kingdom. Then in the last section, we looked at the inner attitude of judgmentalism and how to avoid it as a follower of Jesus. Now, in amongst all those different themes, one of them significantly has been prayer. And that was the section that Jesus taught, which in our Bibles is in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. I'm going to refer back to that section in a moment because it connects very closely to the section we have today in this episode. So I'd like you to see those two sections together. In fact, the earlier one was episode 12 in series four. So episode 12 and episode 17 fit very closely together. And we're going to talk about prayer. I wonder what your attitude to prayer is. It's one of those awkward subjects that Christians often find difficult to discuss because many people find prayer very hard. And some Christians don't really pray much at all on their own. They may participate in prayer if they go to church services or to home-based meetings or special events and conferences. But the reality is many Christians pray very little. And so Jesus's teaching about prayer is incredibly important. And we're going to see in this episode the emphasis that Jesus puts on being wholehearted and persistent in our attitude to prayer. However, before we get there, I'd like to just go back over the first section from episode 12 and just remind you of some of the highlights of that, because it's a very important background to what we're going to talk about today. The three things that I want to just highlight for you by way of a reminder. When Jesus speaks about prayer in Matthew 6, he compares people who pray publicly as a sign of religious fervor or sincerity just to get the approval of other people. He compares that on the one hand with the attitude of his followers, which he said should be the complete opposite of that. And he's talking, of course, about the Jewish context where praying in public was commonplace and well-respected. 
And the Pharisees in particular thoroughly enjoyed praying in public and being seen to be devout and religious for doing so. Jesus compares that attitude with the attitude that he's trying to foster. He also compares the attitude of pagans, the followers of other religions, who he describes as praying a great deal out of a sense of insecurity, many words, many gestures of prayer, because they feel insecure in their relationship with the deity as they perceive it, and they're filled with lots and lots of prayers and requests. Jesus cuts through all that and he said the attitude of a disciple is different. If you want to pray, seek privacy. Preferably, find a place where you can close the door, close out the rest of the world, and without anybody knowing it, pray to your Father who sees what you do in secret and he will reward you. So we can see that Jesus' attitude to prayers based on, and his teaching and prayers based on, the idea that we have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, which the Spirit brings about when we are reborn into God's kingdom. That's the first thing to mention. The second thing to mention from this earlier section is that the format or the structure of prayer is laid out in the Lord's Prayer. There is a basic form of, of prayer that is available to all Christians and recommended by our Lord as a framework for prayer. And we've studied it, and almost certainly you'll know it well. Let me just read it again. Verse 9 of Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a framework for prayer. When I taught it in episode 12, as some of you will remember, I indicated that this isn't something to be rushed through just as a formula. It's something to be prayed slowly and steadily and with reflection on each phrase and then many other prayers arising out of that and I gave a structure for that when we did look at it more closely in episode 12. And the third thing to say is about our relationships with other people and how they're connected to prayer. Jesus emphasizes forgiveness. Forgiving other people is very important in order to create a good access between us and God and a means by which he can easily respond to our prayers. Unforgiveness creates a blockage in our prayer life. Now, these are some of the things that we discovered in episode 12 when we looked at this earlier teaching. Now, Jesus comes back to prayer and he's now adding in one more important dimension. So let's have a look at that. We're going to read Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So the teaching here is on persistence and determination, a wholehearted attitude to prayer. There are three verbs here. Ask, seek and knock. They are given in what we can call the present continuous sense, because that's how the Greek language functions in terms of its tenses. Present continuous means that to say ask means ask and keep on asking. To say seek means seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. A present continuous activity, an ongoing activity. Keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on asking. And the verb ask has a sense of urgency. Asking even to the point of demanding. The verb to seek has a sense of urgency also, trying to get something of somebody urgently. And the verb to knock has a sense of knocking persistently. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Now, later on, Jesus reiterates this teaching on another occasion, which is recorded in Luke chapter 11. And we have something very similar stated there. And you can read that as a comparative text and we'll study it separately when we get there. Jesus often repeated his teachings, as I've said before, in different contexts. And so when that happens, we give respect to each context in which Jesus gives similar teaching. But here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's adding in the element of persistence and determination. Now, let me just take a moment to reflect on this. So if we put these teachings together, we have the following things to think about. First of all, the foundation of a prayer life of a Christian is our actual living relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. We're coming to a loving Heavenly Father. Now, until we get this clear in our minds, then prayer will tend to be mechanical. Prayer will tend to be hopeful or even pessimistic because we don't know the mind of God. And we don't know his attitude towards us. We're uncertain of our salvation. But those who found a living faith in Christ will also, through the work of the Holy Spirit, have a very vivid understanding of God as our Heavenly Father. This is a wonderful reality and it undergirds prayer. So when you're praying, you're talking to a Father who loves you, who cares for you, who's forgiven you all the things you've done wrong in the past, who's got your future in minds who's looking forward to having a face-to-face -face encounter with you and relationship with you in eternity, who's sent his son to die for you and who's given the Holy Spirit to live in you as a deposit, as a, a first payment, as it were, of the salvation you're going to receive 
when you enter into eternity. That's the heavenly father that we are relating to. Now, without that foundation, all these other things become very, very difficult to live out. So I found it really helpful to focus on the wonderful love of my Heavenly Father for me as the foundation of my own prayer life. And as I wake up in the morning every day, my first inclination is always to think I want to spend that time in prayer, to be with my Father, to read his word and to pray the Lord's Prayer. I found over the years, and I mentioned it when we looked at episode 12, but I just want to reiterate it here because it's such an important point. I found that using the Lord's Prayer as a framework for prayer is tremendously helpful. I did it this morning and I do it most days when I pray. I will start, Our Father in Heaven, reflect on that. What does it mean? I'm coming to my Father. He's in heaven, but he's connected to me. His Holy Spirit is connecting us together. I can communicate with my Creator and my Redeemer. What a wonderful thought. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. I immediately think of a thousand different applications of that. I want God's kingdom to come in my family's life so that there are breakthroughs in my family's life. I want God's kingdom to come in my church so that it grows and more people are healed and brought into salvation. More poor people are helped. Thy kingdom come can mean things about international mission that I'm concerned with. And so the list goes on and on. And so starting with a good relationship with our Heavenly Father and a real perception of his love for us, we're able to pray with confidence. And I encourage you to use the Lord's Prayer as a framework. And then thirdly, every day we should be dealing with the issue of forgiveness. Is there anyone that you need to forgive today? If so, it's time to make that decision. And that decision is not about emotion. It's not about feeling. It's a decision you made with your will and with your mind and with the help of the Holy Spirit. They don't deserve to be forgiven. They may never change, but we give God the right to judge them. We're not going to be judgmental. We're going to forgive. Now that opens up the door for our living relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're not burdened by all this unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and sadness. All that can be resolved, however deep those issues. The Holy Spirit can come and work deeply within us if we release the issue to him. And the reason it's important here is that it has a fundamental effect on our prayer life. Because those who don't forgive, don't pray very much. That is my common experience. They feel a bit disconnected from God. They feel unable to come to him with confidence. They find it harder to prioritise on his kingdom and are more interested in their own welfare because they're absorbed in the pain and the hurt of things that have happened. So these are the foundations that we want to build. But then we need to add in The very thing that Jesus is teaching us here, which is persistence. Keep on asking. Now, this is one thing that we all find very, very difficult because we like to have things resolved quickly. We don't like waiting. We don't like asking. But this is where we have to trust in our living God. And some prayer requests that I've had on my list 
I've been asking God for five or even ten years and still haven't happened. Other things happen within days or weeks of me asking him, and I can't really explain the difference between the two, but there are some things deep down inside you you know you should be praying for and asking for, and the Lord Jesus here is saying, Keep on asking because every time you pray, it's remembered by God. It's part of a process. There may be a much wider spiritual battle going on behind the scenes of your prayers. There may be some character formation in you going on as you are seeking him. There may be an issue of timing that that prayer is better answered sometime in the future in a way that you can't understand from where you stand. And this is where we have to trust our Heavenly Father. And to pray with faith. I've been praying for decades for a spiritual revival in my country, the UK. And I've been praying for a number of nations around the world regularly for many years too. And I attend an early morning prayer meeting every week at which these are major themes. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and persisting. And as yet, I haven't seen the fulfilment of the answer to that particular focus of prayer. But I feel deep down, this is what I should be praying for. And I feel that every time I brought it to the Lord, it's a step closer. And I hear other people praying similar prayers and that really encourages me. It's a way of praying that I feel is really important. And as I come to this scripture here, I'm encouraged because the Lord says, keep on asking because God isn't going to give you something negative for something positive that you ask. If your son asks for bread, will a father give him a stone? Says Jesus rhetorically here. What father would humiliate his child who comes to him hungry and says, Father, I'm hungry. Can I have some bread and just give him a rock or a stone and say, eat that. That's not our Heavenly Father. That's not our loving Heavenly Father. He would never do anything like that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. What a terrible thing to do. A fish for food. We don't want a snake. We want a fish to eat. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we should keep asking. And one of the good gifts that God gives us is gifts of the Holy Spirit and the very presence of the Holy Spirit in greater measure. This is one of the mysteries of prayer. The more you pray about other things, the more God gives you of himself. In the parallel passage in Luke 11, which we'll study in a later series, Luke 11 verse 13, we find that the good gifts there which the Father in heaven is going to give, is described as the Holy Spirit. So Jesus teaching something similar on a later occasion defines the good gifts as the Holy Spirit or even the gifts of the Spirit. I think that's wonderful because God gives us more of himself as we seek him and as we ask him. So I want to encourage you to... Go back to this issue of prayer. The discipline of finding a time and a place has been dealt with in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 onwards, and mentioned just briefly at the beginning of this talk. 
you need to find a place and a time to pray. It doesn't happen by accident. You can't do all your deep praying just as you're walking along the road or looking after your children or cooking your food or going to your office. We need a time of peace and quiet and a place. Find it. Use the Lord's Prayer. Decide you're going to forgive people who need to be forgiven, who've wronged you. And ask specific things. Be very specific. Be very clear. Be very confident that you can come to God's throne of grace and ask him. And he will intervene and answer your prayers. Now, it appears that for Jesus, for the discipleship community, personal prayer was a foundation stone. So if there isn't any personal prayer of any significance in your life, then today's episode is an incredibly important moment for you. I encourage you, don't just listen to it. Go back to the relevant scriptures, these two passages in Matthew 6 and 7, and the parallel passage in Luke 11, starting at verse 1. Just read that section through as well. And just ask the Lord to help you establish a pattern of prayer. Now that varies dramatically according to your life circumstances. If you're a retired person in a comfortable home, you've got plenty of opportunity. If you're a mother with four children at home, there's hardly a moment you get to yourself unless you really find a way and you have to work very hard. Or if you're a busy worker who commutes an hour and a half to work each day on the bus or walking or on a train, then you're very tired at the end of the day and you have to get up very early. I understand all these things. There are no simple, easy solutions. But Jesus encourages us to believe that we can find time and a place. And if you analyse your day, you'll find there's elements of time there that you hardly think about, which you can give to prayer. You may have to take it away from something else. You may have to switch your social media or your television off. You may have to withdraw a little bit from conversation from time to time. You may have to go out of your home and just go quietly to a place you can walk and pray. Or you may just be able to close the door to your room. But we should be seeking to find that time and to develop that life of prayer. I had the privilege many years ago to travel to South Korea, which is famous for its emphasis on prayer in their churches. It's also famous for having some of the largest churches in the world. And I was privileged to visit some very large churches in major cities in South Korea during this time that I visited friends there. And on one occasion, I was taken from a church meeting on a Sunday by bus to an area which was called a prayer mountain. Quite a few churches in South Korea by land, which they use for prayer retreats. And there I spent a day and I was able to see the huge numbers of people who came just to seek God. There were little places that they could sit. There were little caves that had been dug out of the side of the hill. There were benches that they could sit. There was a prayer chapel they could go to. And I saw hundreds and hundreds of people. Some were fasting. 
Some had spent several days there. Some took a week's holiday and they went just to pray and to seek God. It was a most moving experience. And I realised that in some parts of the world, the expectation of God answering prayer is greater than in others. And it was greater in South Korea than it was in my home country, the UK. I learned something there. I never forgot that wonderful experience. And it's been my priority, my own life, wherever possible, to seek time and place for private communion with my God and to seek his face as my Heavenly Father and to pray to him along the lines that I have suggested to you based on the teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now we have one more verse which we haven't commented on, which is very important. The last verse of our passage, Matthew 7, verse 12. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This particular verse is actually the concluding verse of the formal teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. It's bringing it to an end. It's the bridge between the formal teaching and then Jesus's final comments, which we're going to get in the next section. The next episode is actually all about choice. And that's what we're going to deal with in episode 18. But here he says, so in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. This is sometimes called the golden rule, the golden ethical rule. You see, the golden rule identifies the underlying attitude of Christian disciples towards others, which is to love your neighbour. It encourages us to be proactive towards other people and to have the love of other people in mind in all our religious and ethical behaviour. So this lovely verse brings this passage to conclusion. We have the so-called golden rule of Jesus. I hope you've enjoyed going through all the ethical teaching of Jesus, teaching about attitudes, teaching about various religious practices in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a foundational text for our faith and I encourage you to study it really seriously and go back over this teaching again and see what you can implement in your own life. Now in our next episode, the final episode of series four, we're going to look at the remaining sections of Matthew 7. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, this is all about choice because Jesus at the end looks out over this vast crowd that's gathered, disciples at the front and many other people around, interested observers. And he basically says, there is a choice. You either live this way of life or you don't. It's a choice. It's not something you study academically. It's not something of casual interest. It's not something you can easily dismiss. You're either going down this road or you're not. You're either going to be a disciple or you're going to choose not to be a disciple. And the consequences of those choices 
And the significance of those choices are going to be the subject of our next episode. I hope you'll join us. Thank you. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.